Hey, good to see you this weekend. Uh, glad you're joining us online. And uh, for some of you, we uh, get to talk to you this way every week. And so love hearing from you. Thank you to some of you that reached out and let us know uh, that you're watching. Let us know how you're doing. I'd say to some of you that are checking this out once in a while, if I could just give you some advice. Uh, it, you didn't ask for it, but I'm going to give it. You know, I try to just make this a routine. If like you're like, this is just what we feel most comfortable doing. Make this a routine. Pick a time each week where you're going to kind of dial in. I think it'll help you kind of get synchronized and stay connected. So we want to stay connected with you. We just want to be helpful to you on this journey. We're in this conversation, conversation we're having, critical, important, essential. Uh, we're in a conversation about respect. And so as we jump into the conversation this weekend, uh, I just want to kind of go back and build a foundation because we said this, that when it comes to respect, we want to look at it through the lens of God's Word, particularly the New Testament. There's two Greek words that tell us what is respect. And when we look at what is respect, here's what we found. We found respect is actually acknowledging value and worth, right? It's just looking at something and saying, I acknowledge the value and the worth of that. And we said that all of us made in the image of God, we have worth and value because we've been made in the image of God. But it's also attributing honor and attention, recognizing the role, the God-given role that God places people in. And so you walk into the room like, who's in charge? Who's the teacher? Who's the coach? Things like that. So then we kind of led us to the question, well, if that's what respect is, then why respect? And there's got to be a bigger reason this grandma told me to, right? And we said this, for the follower of Jesus, if you're a follower of Jesus, respect is an expression of my worship to God and my submission to the leadership of Jesus in my life. That's what it is. And so all we're doing is teasing out respect. If that's what respect is, if that's why respect... Tease it out in different scenarios, arenas, and relationships. Week one, we looked at respect in the home. And if you didn't get a chance to listen to that, I'd go back, check it out. What does it look like in the home? Husband and wife with kids, things like that. Then last week, we looked at generational respect. There's at least five identifiable generations that are going to, and we looked at how does, how does each generation respect the other? Here's what I want to look at this week, okay? We're going to take a look. We're going to kind of go in the deep end, and I shared this last week. Uh, but if you're watching this with your kids, I just want to let you know this. Some of what we're going to talk about is a little PG. So you just need to know that. I just like to give you a warning of that because I want to look at gender respect. I want to look at this whole idea of respect between the genders. And when we think about that, the very first place my mind goes is the beginning of God's story. In the beginning of God's story, here's what it says. It says, Genesis 1 God created mankind in his own image, right? So there's value and there's worth. In the image of God, he created them. And then look at this, male and female, he created them. Now, here's the point, and then I want to go somewhere. God created both genders. That's the point, right? We are equally valuable in the eyes of God. We are equally made in the image of God. We are equal and yet uniquely different. Uniquely designed by God different physically, emotionally, all kinds of ways, right? It's part of God's beautiful design is that we have been equally made in the image of God, beautifully made different, right? And so he made them male and female. And respect is acknowledging, valuing, and honoring God in such a way that, our, 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 that we respect the way he made us. So we live into the gender he made us while respecting the opposite gender. Now, here's what I know. There's many ways I can go with this this week, right? Uh, this whole idea of gender respect. And so I had to kind of pick a lane to go in, and I chose a lane on purpose. 
In essence, the lane that I kind of want to lean into is this. I mean, you can look at a lot of things on our first week, and we talked about respect between men and women. But the lane that I want to lean into this week is what does it mean to respect each other sexually? Maybe another way we could have uh, uh, kind of phrased this week is sexual respect, right? Sexual respect, which may beg this question, you know, Dan, why in the world do you want to talk about that? Well, it might be obvious to you, but let's just state some reasons. First is this. We live in a sex-saturated culture. You know that. Not You go to the grocery store, stand in line, you're bombarded with it, right? On the rack there is 10 ways to better sex, right? Turn on the TV, over 70% of the TV shows, sex, right? Watch the news. There's something about sex. Sex sells everything from cologne to coffee to records, right? You go... To school, up and down the hallway, you're going to hear people talking about sex. In the locker room, people talking about sex. Around the water cooler, people talking about sex. Sex Sex-saturated culture. Sex-curious culture, right? And so we have to address it because it's addressing us, right? And not only that, but let's just say this. In this sex-saturated culture, we can live in a culture that sometimes devalues sex. Maybe just think about it, like I talk to a lot of people and say, well, it's just physical. Sex is just physical. It's almost like eating food, right? It's an appetite that i got to satisfy. Or it's almost like playing a game. It's something I enjoy, and so I do it, right? I eat, I enjoy, and so I have to somehow satisfy my appetite, right? And I want to get enjoyment while I do it. And so that means for people who feel like it's only physical, the idea that there would be any kind of restriction or rule seems draconian almost. seems like that's, that's outlandish. It's almost unthinkable. And here's what I would say. I would challenge that by, with a couple questions. If sex is just physical, which is one of the ways our culture has devalued sex, then I would ask this. If sex is just physical, why is it that rape is so much more harmful to a woman than many other things that violate women? If sex is just physical, why is it that when a kid is sexually molested that it's something that's very hard for them to work their way out? Why is it if sex is just physical that adultery is such a violation in a marriage? You see, the fact of the matter is we live in a culture that devalues sex. I can tell you as a pastor that when I have people come and talk to me, some of people's greatest regrets when they come and say, Pastor Dan, I've not told anybody else this that I've been carrying this around, some of their greatest regrets, more times than not, higher percentage are sexually related. It's interesting, right? So we live in a sex-saturated culture, sex-curious culture that has devalued sex, and so we've kind of made it something just physical. And another reason I want to talk about it is this. I know some of you are struggling with sexual sins. I just know that. You're watching this, and and I'm, I'm absolutely confident There are people that are going to hear this message that are struggling. And maybe you're struggling, and I want you to stay tuned here. I want you to stay with the conversation. Because I just want to have a grown-up conversation with us as a church in the middle of this sex-saturated culture, this sex-curious culture that devalues sex in ways that desensitize us and has led to a disregard of God's ideal of sex, right? in ways that have led us to disrespect the other gender, I want to have this grown-up conversation because here's what we said. The church must lead the way. And if we as a church must lead the way, there's a passage of Scripture in the book of Proverbs that's interesting to me. I want to show it to you. This passage says this, Where there is no revelation, the people cast off restraint. 
but blessed is he who keeps the law. New Living Translation says it this way, when people do not accept divine guidance, guidance from God, they run wild. But whoever obeys the law is joyful. Here's what he's saying. When people don't know what God says about something or they simply don't want to listen to it, they can cast off restraint and they run wild. Right? Like so they either don't know what he says or they ignore what he says and they just cast off restraint and run wild. And what he says is they end up not being blessed or the word is happy. It's interesting. Right? The fact of the matter is God has plenty to say about sex. And I would suggest there's a lot of people who don't know that. Maybe there's some people who know that and kind of want to ignore it or manipulate what God says. And what the writer of Proverbs is saying is this, is that when people, when, when they either ignore it or they don't know what God has to say about it, they're going to run wild in ways that disregard God and disrespect each other. And so this has led to devastating bondage in our culture. It's led to things like the Me Too movement. You've heard of it, I'm sure, if you watch the news. The Me Too movement founded in 2006 just to support survivors of sexual violence. Um, you can find these statistics, but in our culture, one in four women have experienced rape or attempted rape in their lifetime. Just let that sink in. A quarter of the women watching this. About 3% of American men, one in 33, lesser percent, but... Sometimes we don't think about it that way. Have experienced an attempted or completed rape in their lifetime. One in four girls are victims of sexual abuse. The ratio is a little bit less with boys, but not a ton. It's gaining. Every 73 seconds, an American is sexually assaulted. There's long-term long effects of sexual violence. Here's the point. When we stop regarding what God says, we cast off restraint, we run wild, we stop respecting each other. The laws of God, book of Proverbs, the laws of God are actually set up for us to love each other better. That's what they're set up for. They're not simply restrictions. You can't have fun. They're to love and respect each other better. So we as a church must have this conversation. We must lead the way. So what does it look like when we respect each other sexually? I want you to write these things down. We're just going to go. We're going to have a, an adult conversation about this. Here's the first thing I want you to write down. It means this. We'll be exposing sexual criminality. We'll be exposing sexual criminality. Many times in our culture, uh, in our culture, acts of sexual abuse and violence are covered up and swept under the rug. When people of power and prestige use their position to control, manipulate, or curry some sort of sexual favors, sometimes that gets swept under the rug. I'm going to just be honest with you. Too often, the church has even let this happen. And as a result, victims of sexual abuse and violence have lived in a prison of secrecy in a cave of pain. That is not okay. Period. It's not okay. The church needs to lead the way. We referred to this last week, but Paul says this about the church. Let me show it to you. First Timothy 5, he says, Never speak, he's talking to the church, the way we relate to each other. Never speak harshly to an older man, but appeal to him respectfully as you would your own father. Talk to younger men as you would your own brothers. Treat older women as you would your mother and treat younger women with all, what, purity 
as you would your own sisters. What he's saying is this. Let me just make a point. He's saying the church is a family, men treating women as sisters and women treating men as brothers. What he's saying is, is that where the church is, there ought to be safety, the safety of a family. And we know this, the church isn't just a place, right? You coming, the church is people. So where the church goes, there ought to be this safety. And then if you press into this further, this imagery, my role, here at this church, is a shepherd. That means this, my role is, I've been chartered, charged to lead, guide, and protect. So I, along with the other pastoral staff members here, have been charged with being the shepherds of this flock and this family. When Paul, in Acts 20, you, you don't need to look at this, but he's giving a charge to shepherds, and this is what he says. He says, I want you to guard and protect and keep watch over God's flock, he bought that flock with his own blood. But then he says, beware, savage wolves will come into that flock. You as a shepherd are charged to guard it, to protect it. Here's what that means sexually. That means if something happens in the realm of abuse, we will deal with it. We will deal with it. It kind of begs this question to me. I begin to think to myself, why has... This has been something that's been hidden in our culture and sometimes even in our churches. And here's what I heard. I heard this this last month in, in a talk, and it was interesting to me. I think the reason for that is too often we have confused sexual criminality and sexual immorality. Now stay with me on this. Sexual immorality, all of us have struggled with that at some point in time. We're going to talk about it in a second. And, and, and the way you deal with sexual immorality is confession. Sexual criminality, the way you deal with sexual criminality is you call the police. See, here's what Paul says in Ephesians. He says, have nothing to do, Ephesians 5, with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. It's shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret, but everything exposed by the light becomes visible and everything that's illuminated becomes a light. Here's what this means. If you're taking notes, I'd write this down. We're going to be exposing sexual criminality if we're going to respect each other. That means we hold violators accountable and we help victims find assistance. That's what it means. Here's what this means. If you're watching this, I just want to talk to you. If you're watching this and you are an abuser, I'm looking at you and, and, and you would say, I'm a follower of Christ. I'm saying stop today. I'm saying stop. Turn yourself in. Walk into the light. That's what Paul was saying. I know what you might be thinking, is there grace even for violators? Yes, there is. And grace follows repentance. It follows as you walk into the light. And I'm looking at you today and I'm saying, quit walking in the dark. I'm saying, stop and turn yourself in. Some of you are watching this, and you're a victim. And here's what I'm saying to you. Speak up today. I'm asking you to speak up today. I'm asking you to tell someone who can help. Help is available. Healing Here's what I'd write down somewhere. Healing begins with revealing. 
the pain that you're feeling that has such power in the darkness, light has a way of stealing its power. I'm asking you to walk into the light. I'm asking you to walk into the light. We have uh, a, a rape crisis hotline. Number is this, 330-434-7273. Some of you, maybe that's, that's what you, you need to call that right now. I don't know. Some of you maybe are, are minors watching this and you are victims of sexual abuse. I'm saying tell a responsible adult, a teacher, a coach, a pastor. I volunteer. Tell somebody. I want you today to walk out of the cave of your pain, the secrecy. Here's what I want you to know. As you walk out of that cave, I think it's going to take courage. I would say this, to heal from it, you're going to have to deal with it. And that's going to take courage and bravery. But I want to tell you that as you walk into the light, that's where healing's found. I would say this too, that, that if you're going to heal from this, you're going to have to move from just me too to we too. Like there's power in community. And I can tell you here at Grace, there are others who have walked this journey. There are others who have walked out of that cave. There are people who want to help you. And I want to tell you this. Jesus didn't just come to free you from the sins that you've committed. But he came to give you healing and freedom from the sins that were committed against you. We want to help you. We love you. We'll expose sexual criminality. Now, leads me to another thing. When we disregard God, here's what happens. People cast off restraint. They begin to disrespect each other in ways that show up in sexual criminality. But can we be honest about something? If we're honest, uh, either people who don't know what God says or they ignore what God says, here's what they do. They, They cast off restraint. They disregard God and they violate what God says about sex. Now listen close. They violate or disregard what God says about sex or sexuality in ways that our culture would tolerate or embrace. They wouldn't see as criminal. And so when the Bible talks about sexual immorality, it's talking about anything that disregards God's ideal and design for sex. That's what he's talking about. In disregarding God, what happens is we dishonor him and we end up disrespecting others. Look at what Paul says. Let me show you two two passages. Two passages. Ephesians 5. But among you there must not even be a... Everybody say that word out loud. You watch it. Say it out loud. Hint of sexual immorality. That caught me this week. Of any kind of impurity or greed because these are improper for God's holy people, for people who are followers of Christ. Nor should there be obscenity. He doesn't just stop there. This is interesting to me. Foolish talk, coarse joking, which are out of place. Or rather, Thanksgiving. 1 Corinthians 6. Flee, flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a person commits are outside the body, but whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit? It's interesting. Who's in you? whom you've received from God, you're not your own. You're bought with a price. Therefore, here's our word for respect. Honor God. Time is the word there. Honor God with your bodies. Here's the point. If you're taking notes, I'd write this down. If we're going to regard God and respect each other sexually, we're going to avoid 
sexual immorality. That's what he's saying. For the follower of Jesus, our sexual ethic and conduct, it reflects our worship of God and our willingness to submit to the leadership of Jesus in our life. What does that mean? Well, I think it means this. I'd write this. We're going to recognize sexual temptation. It's everywhere. Can we just say that? <laughs> everywhere. And we're going to run from even the hint, that's what Paul said, of sexual immorality. For the follower of Christ, the wrong question is this, did we cross a line? The right question is, did we pursue purity? That's what we're writing down somewhere. For the follower of Christ, the wrong question is, did we, you ever heard somebody say that? Hey, I don't know, do you think we crossed a line? A wrong question. I wanna see how close I can get it. I wanna hint of, the right question is, am I pursuing God's ideal? Am I pursuing something that's regarding what God says? Paul says, Paul says not even a hint of it. Because in our pursuit, in our culture, in our pursuit for freedom sexually, what happens is we end up disregarding God and we don't end up freer. We end up in more bondage and more pain. So what does it look like? How does it show up between the genders when we disrespect each other and disregard God? Well, let's just ask some questions. Get your notepad ready. Let's just ask some questions. Let's just be blunt. This is a blunt conversation. Men. Let's start with men. Men, can I ask you this? I'd write this down somewhere. Does what I look at disregard what God says about sex and does it disrespect women? Does what I look at disregard what God says about sex and does it disrespect women? Yeah, I'm talking about pornography, right? Pornography kills your capacity for lifelong and satisfying relationships. It causes us to look at women as commodities or objects. When you gaze at pornography, you're looking at the image of a woman whose body you just want to use. That's what it is. That's what pornography is. It trains our minds to see all women that way. When you look at a woman with no recognition that they have a soul or a mind, it begins to train your mind. There's lots of secular studies, not even pastors or Christians writing this stuff, that would, that would underline the fact that our brains get rewired with pornography. Pornography begins to destroy our capacity for real sexual fulfillment. I, Andy Stanley says, says this, when you look at porn, you rewire your brain to believe three things. One, you rewire it to believe that a real body isn't good enough. The second thing, that one body isn't good enough. And the third thing, your wife's body isn't good enough. It's interesting. No woman can live up to what you see in porn. Naomi Wolf, she's not even, she, she's not a Christian, just so you know, I mean, not, that I know of. In fact, she, she'd be radically, maybe have other ideas. But she says this, for most men, Real naked women are just bad porn. No man, she says, has ever gorged himself on porn and then put it behind him after marriage because his wife met all his porn fantasies. Instead, the opposite happens. Men, if you're not willing to address this, I challenge you to tell your girlfriend or fiance if you're dating, right? To bring in the light. Here's the deal. 
pornography disregards God's ideal for sex and it disrespects women. Before we leave this, hardcore porn and softcore. You're like, what's that? Well, my guess is you probably can imagine what hardcore porn is. But even some of the pictures that we look at or post or put up that objectify women, disrespect women, see them as commodities. I gotta ask myself that. Gals, can I ask you this? And what I, am I thinking about or looking at things that disregard God's ideal for sex and disrespect men? Pornography among women is a growing issue. But I would say this, at the risk of maybe blowing up some of y'all's reading, I don't know. Fifty Shades of Grey, and not only Fifty Shades of Grey, but Fifty Shades of Darker, and Fifty Shades of Freed, and 50, you fill in the blank. They create a similar dynamic as pornography does in men. The guy in the book is dreamed up. And he's painted with a pen of fantasy and idealism that's not real. It's airbrushed reality. It's airbrushed reality. I gotta ask myself, does what I'm reading, does what's captivating my mind, romance novels that are captivating, is it somehow in line with God's ideal? Does it disrespect men? Does it create a false expectation? Uh, how about this? This is both for men and women. Does what I listen to Disregard God's ideal for sex and disrespect the opposite gender? Can we just be honest? It's easy to desensitize our brains. Does, does my playlist somehow disregard God's ideal for sex and disrespect women? Now, now, before you dismiss me here, what are you talking about? I'm saying songs that refer to women as bitches and whores and sex objects? Like, it's so easy to turn the radio on a favorite station and all of a sudden, right? Uh, songs that disrespect guys, songs that disregard God's ideal for sex. Uh, I, I just did a, a flyover. Uh, some of you are country music fans. I'm not trying to blow up your playlist, but maybe you've heard Ashley McBride. I don't want a number. You ain't got an answer. Let's just stick to the one night standards. I mean, just think about how that can begin to desensitize a culture. Your mind. How about Katy Perry? I don't even know your name. No, I don't even know your name. It doesn't matter. You're my experimental game. That's just human nature. See how all of a sudden it begins to disregard God's idea. Uh, how about this? Men and women, this is for both. I could ask myself, what am I laughing at? Am I laughing at things that disregard God and disrespect the opposite gender? I read this in a book called Seven Snares of the Enemy. It says, a writer for sitcoms once said this, we must get people to laugh at homosexuality, adultery, and incest because laughing breaks down their resistance to it. That's interesting, isn't it? It makes me think of what Paul said. Remember he said, I want you to avoid the coarse joking. I gotta begin to ask myself, what am I joking about? What am, what's getting the laugh? Guys, let's be honest. The laughs who get, the jokes that get the most laughs, a lot of the places where we work, hang out, whatever, a lot of times are sexual jokes, right? And begin to think, all of a sudden it begins to break down something, then a cast off restraint, a disregard, right? 
Uh, how about this, men? I want you to write these things down, right? You can stop this tape and just write, am I, I want you to write this down. Particularly if, if, if you call Grace Church your home, I want you to write this down. If you're a follower of Christ, am I talking to or touching women in a way that disrespects them and treats them like an object? Don't assume they want to be touched like you touch them, hugged like you hug them. Don't assume that. Don't assume that you're free to say whatever to them. I gotta ask myself as a man, does what I say and how I joke with women disrespect them? Does it make them feel uncomfortable? I gotta ask myself, is how I'm touching them make them feel uncomfortable? Am I violating some personal space? Have I asked permission to give them a hug? You know, I mean, I, I don't know. I gotta ask myself, am I respecting the opposite sex? Uh, women, can I go here with you? I gotta ask myself, does the way I dress disregard God and disrespect guys? And maybe in parentheses I could add disrespect myself, right? Uh, Paul said something interesting to church in Ephesus. He was speaking to Timothy about how he leads it. I want women to dress modestly with decency and propriety, adorning themselves not with elaborate hairstyles, gold or pearls or expensive clothes, but with good deeds appropriate for women who profess to worship God. I think all I'd say here, gals, and, and this might, you know, I don't know, might be tender territory, but if you're a follower of Christ, here's what I'd say. I'd treat guys like brothers with respect in the way you dress. I'll just be vulnerable and honest with you. There's, there's times when it can be uncomfortable. It can be uncomfortable. And not only is it disrespectful, sometimes to guys, but I think it can be disrespectful to yourself. The body that God gave you, he says, is his temple. He says, therefore, honor God with it. It leads me to another question. This is for guys and gals, right? Men and women. I gotta ask myself, am I rationalizing or justifying something God is clear about? We live in a culture that rationalizes, justifies. We can justify sexual immorality. We can explain away our unwillingness to listen to God and cast off restraint and run wild. I want to be clear, make no mistake, for the follower of Jesus, sex outside of the marriage covenant is not in line with the revelation and vision of God for sex. To be sexual in a sexual relationship outside of marriage is to cast off restraint and disregard God. And I believe it doesn't just disregard God. I think it disrespects the other gender. Here's what the writer of Hebrews says. Marriage should be honored by all and the marriage bed kept pure. For God will judge the adulterer and the sexually immoral. He said, I want you to honor marriage. You might say, well, I'm not married to my partner, but I love them. And, and I do want all of them, then I would say, well, why haven't you got married? <laughs> I'm not saying you don't love them. I'm not saying that on some level you're not committed to them, but just admit that you haven't given all of yourself to them yet. I want to be very clear, according to God's word, sex, before you've made the lifelong commitment and promise of marriage, is disregarding God's design for sex. 
That means during serious dating relationships. That means during the engagement stage. He's saying that kind of power is only to be experienced in the covenant of marriage. We cast off restraint. We disregard God. And when we do, we disrespect others. Let me just say this really quickly as a pastor. I'm saying to you, if you're a follower of Jesus and you're in a relationship and you're not married and you are in a sexual relationship with your partner and they too claim to be a follower of Christ, I'm saying it's disregarding what God says and I think you're disrespecting the person you're with. Gals, if you're with somebody who says he's a follower of Christ, I've done this in my office many times, and you are a follower of Christ, and you are living together and having sex together, I would say to you as a sister in Christ, get out. I would say not only is he, as, some, as, as the man in your life, disregarding God, I think he's disrespecting you by not being willing to lead you into God's ideal for you. See, it's easy to justify it. Well, it's more economically feasible. Or I don't know many people in our culture that aren't doing that. And what God says is this, is that I have a vision for sex. Did you ever think about that? God has a vision for sex. Which leads to the last thing, I think, that we need to say. It's like we're going to expose sexual criminality, avoid sexual immorality, but, but I want you to write this down. We've got to pursue God's vision for sex. Can I get an amen? Right? Yeah. God has a vision for sex. Mary should be honored by all. What does that mean? Well, I'd write this down. That means sex was designed by God to be experienced and enjoyed in marriage. Love that. I love that, right? It was designed by God to be experienced and enjoyed in marriage. Here, the Bible has some things to say about sex, and I just want you to write these things down because sex is to be experienced and enjoyed in marriage, and I think even in marriage you can disrespect each other sexually if you don't know what sex was designed to be in marriage. Sex in marriage, I want you to write this down, sex in marriage was designed to several things, be and do certain things. First is this, sex in marriage was designed to be selfless and mutual. Ephesians 5 says, submit to one another reverence for Christ. Sex is meant to be an expression of mutually giving yourself to the other. That means men realizing your wife is wired different than you. And wives realizing that your husband is wired different than you. And so what sex is, is not just what I can get, but what can I give? How can I somehow give, serve, even sexually, my marriage partner, right? Disrespect happens when I'm selfish in sex. Only want what I want. Disrespect happens when I ask, listen, my partner to do things they're not comfortable with. Disrespect happens when I withhold sex. See what I'm saying? Not only that, but sex in marriage was designed to be exclusive and personal. Here's what Proverbs 5 says. It says, drink water from your own well. Share your love with only your wife. Why spill? This is a very sexual term, terminology you're using here, by the way, just so you know this, okay? Like Proverbs, it's not like he's just thinking about a well. I mean, this would have been referencing certain things. They would have been like, oh, I get what you're saying, right? Why spill the water of your springs in the street having sex with just anyone? 
you should reserve it for yourselves. Here's what he's saying. He's saying marriage is saying yes to your spouse and no to all others. Marriage, here, here's what it is. It's proactively pursuing my spouse, romantically, spiritually, sexually. And it's not just proactively pursuing, but it is protecting. I'm saying yes to Jennifer, no to all others. Disrespect happens in marriage when I step outside my marriage, when I invite someone else into the marriage, whether that be real or pornography or however, right? Disrespect happens, this is maybe worth writing down somewhere, when others know about our sex life. Honest to goodness, I, I believe that's one of the most disrespectful things you can do to your spouse is to begin at work or wherever telling other people about whatever, right? It's supposed to be exclusive, it's personal, it's intimate, which leads to this. Sex in marriage was designed to promote oneness and intimacy. Genesis says this is why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife and the two are united. They're both naked, felt no shame. I love Genesis 4.1 says Adam made love to his wife Eve and she became pregnant and gave birth to Cain. I love the fact that in the Hebrew that word is yada, right? And like we have a lot of fun with that yada, yada, all that kind of stuff. But that word means to know. It's used all over the Old Testament to know intimately and deeply. Sex was designed to promote intimacy. Sex is not just a physical act. We already made that point earlier in the talk, right? But somehow sex is, is created by God to, to be able to enjoy and promote this unbelievable unity, this unbelievable oneness, this unbelievable intimacy, right? Which leads to this. Sex is designed in marriage to be fun and enjoyable, right? Look what Proverbs says. Right? May your fountain be blessed, and may you rejoice in the wife of your youth, a loving doe, a graceful deer. May her breast satisfy you always. May you ever be intoxicated with her love. Right? Somebody's like, man, I'm going to highlight that, right? I mean, that's, is that in the Bible? That's in the Bible. You check me on it, right? Like, here's what I want you to hear me say God says yes to sex. I think one of the things we've done to disregard God in terms of sex is we have not given a generation a vision for sex. It's not just for procreating. It does happen to do that. But it's to be enjoyable. He says yes to sex. I think some of the ways that we disrespect and disregard God is when we don't talk about it. In church, this is where we should talk about it, right? we got to give the next generation a vision for it, Right? You see, the fact of the matter is, he says, sex in marriage is to be fun and enjoyable. Here's the point. Where there is no vision, where people don't either know what God says or disregard it, they cast off restraint and they run wild. But blessed or happy is the one who obeys the law of the Lord. You see, I know this. Respect reflects my worship of God and it shows the regard that I have for the God that I worship. Say it again. Respect reflects my worship of God and it demonstrates the regard for the God that I worship. Do I trust him? Do I, do I really trust him? Well, everybody else, do I trust him? And God has something to say about sex. I would say this. If we as a church are going to follow God and take the lead in our culture, we're going to expose sexual criminality. If you're watching this and you're somebody who's abusing somebody, I'm saying this, stop and turn yourself in. If you're somebody who's been abused, I'm saying speak up 
There are people who want to walk with you, and there is help and assistance available. If we're going to lead the way, that means we're going to avoid sexual immorality. For some of us, we're going to have to adjust our playlist. We're going to have to take down some things. We're going to, I don't know what, what all that means, but we're going to begin to regard what God says so that we can respect the opposite gender, so that we can begin to pursue then God's vision. Some of you are single. You're watching this. And I'm saying this, the most godly thing you can do is be patient. Be patient and pursue God's vision for sex. Like you're saying, man, I don't know that I want to wait. Be patient and pursue God's vision for sex. Some of you are like, oh, Pastor Dan, I've already screwed up all of that stuff you said. What do I do? What do I do? I would say this. Here's the deal. Healing comes as you agree with God in confession. Confession that leads to repentance. And I would say you'll find grace and mercy and healing. You see, here's the deal. God has something to say about sex. God has something to say about sex. And here's what I know. When we begin to regard God, we begin to respect others. And so God, a adult conversation about a really real topic in our culture. I pray that you would take this wherever it needs to land and the people that are listening right now and that you would take it where it needs to go. Help us to pay attention to you so that we can pay the appropriate attention to others. I pray that would demonstrate itself in the way we relate with the opposite gender. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.